Hey guys, welcome to Art and Labor. It's Sarah Crow here with OK Fox, and uh, we're whispering together at the 5th Ave, 53rd Street Station for waiting for the M. Uh, we just had a, a whole uh, a whole litany of activities we did today. It was a three activity day, even one that's, would say. That's right. And and when we saw Darcy, we saw Lucia in painting form. We thought we saw someone, but they were just wearing a patterned suit. That was not Lucia, but... Well, there's somebody who was like this... We were like just talking about like Ella Emhoff, and I was like, this person looks like a cross between Ella Emhoff and Lucia, and that's very strange. Yeah, that was, my response was that Lucia is much more of a buccaneer type. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah, we... Um, we yeah, what, what did we do? First, we, we went to Ben Mora's show at um 27 orchard yeah lori gallery i think is what it's called it's good it's we'll, we'll post the pictures but it's all these like you know fuzzy uh liberal raytheon shirts like <laughs> like ironically. bisexual pfizer yeah <laughs> yeah things of this nature kind of going on with our our thread about t-shirts with the biden administration or um cia rebrand that type of vibe. Um, recommend the show for, for listeners who are thinking about iconography and t-shirts and things of that nature. Uh, Darcy and OK very briefly saw the NYU picket line. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, here's the M train. Can you hear it? We're in a sound collage. That's right, Jad Abenbrog. Suck my dick. We're, we're the real, um, uh, take this American uh, life. Uh, WNYC, eat your heart out. Um, that's right. We are on the subway. All right, so now we really have to get quiet and write up on the mic. Um, but... Good. So activity one, activity two, activity three, we went to the MoMA strike event right across the street from the MoMA um, and got two really fantastic interviews that you guys are going to be listening to in this episode. Um, one with William Pauhita, he's an artist who has been working in several different like collaborative actions with Strike MoMA. And then we also had a really great talk with Kyle Gowen, who is a screen printer, printmaker, and uh, has been doing movement work for decades. decades. Yeah, and just like, it was a really nice, like, talking to your elders. Not elders, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, okay, and Sarah. You you go to the multiracial uh, event and talk to the two white guys, but they're fucking cool ones. So and then we got tired and we we talked to people off mic and you, sorry, you you just have to show up in person <laughs> to these events. It's going on for six weeks. Yeah, we try to talk to fucking other people. Everyone's tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. I've been carrying around. Because uh, Trader Joe's sells the cheapest steel-cut oats, so I've just been carrying around like three cartons of those all day, and I'm, I'm tuckered. I had a free slice of pizza, which is sustaining me through this subway ride. Otherwise, I might have just zonked out. Um, yeah, because, yeah, we went to that show. We went to the 
the grad student strike. Um, Darcy was there for the whole thing. I, I got there at the very end. Um, nice little picket for the NYU grad students and um, yeah, I guess that was those were our big activities. <laughs> we had a little art crawl. Enjoy this um, this dispatch, um, these interviews, and yeah, check out Strike MoMA uh, every Friday um, for a while. We're probably I I think they start already. It's like, it's a ten week thing. We've post we we've, we've posted the thing before, but I think they're on week three. And so I, so there's not. There's still many more to go, and, and they're cool, and like, you know, and you can hear in these interviews that, like, I'm a little pessimistic, I'm a little downer, but they maintain op optimism and maintain, like, you know, these, both the people we talked to have been doing this for decades, and they're like, I'm still doing it, you know? <laughs> well, and I think, like, um, sometimes when you participate in in movements you want like every experience you have with it to be this kind of transformative like special thing where whereas I mean a lot of it is is sitting around and talking and actually getting to know each other <laughs> and <laughs> I mean obviously you need the transformative you're all working towards the transformative but uh, daily struggle is is important too so just Coming by and introducing yourself to people can be really helpful in, in ways that you don't understand yet. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have this, and I mean, there's also made a protest going on tomorrow. Maybe I'll bring, or no, I don't know. If you want to bring the mic there tomorrow in the beginning, we can maybe record a little bit of the speeches there. Throw that in. Um, because yeah, it's it's May Day time. It's time to go outside. Um, Zoom won't cut it. You gotta, you gotta go be friends, and it's dangerous. It's gonna get more and more dangerous as our, as we grow older. I'm afraid, but we just have to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm. This is the last you're gonna hear of my voice in this podcast because I just got real clammed up. And same deal tomorrow. So yeah, we'll like, we'll try. Well, you did. We, we did it. We, it was a marathon and we did it. And we hope you guys have fun out there. Thanks for tuning in. You lied. <laughs> Join our Patreon at artandlabor.com slash, I mean, patreon.com slash artandlabor. There we go. Yeah, support us um, doing it out there going. We'll do more stuff like this if you pay us. All right, bye. Okay, hi everybody. Um, it's Art and Labor here. We are at the Strike MoMA um, action at the plaza across the street from MoMA. Um, we're here with William Pahida. Pahida or Haida? Pahida. Pahida. I knew I got that fucked up. Um, so, William, are, are you part of the Artist for a Post MoMA Future? Yes, yeah. I'm uh, part of the group that was organized by artist Michael Rakowitz. So, and assisting with the actions that the group is planning. So, yeah. 
So you guys um, had like a route for today. Where did you start and what was the tour about? Uh, well, Artists for a Postmoma Future wasn't part of the tour. We're okay. sort of an affinity group and we were planning on debuting a, a kind of invitation for people in the form of a MoMA wall label um, that was going to greet the tour as it arrived at 5 p.m. But the tour arrived a little early, so. Uh, but we will be here for the next, you know, five or six weeks every Friday uh, with this kind of invitation to get people to participate and think about what a post-MoMA future could look like. Um, and so, again, this is, you know, we're, we're an affinity group in support of Strike MoMA. Yeah, so reading this statement, yeah, it seems like there's a bunch of different groups represented. Um, but yeah, so this... It like this piece here is like kind of the contribution from your group today. Yeah, it's it's our contribution, and hopefully it'll be an invitation for people walking by who might not kind of know what's going on, or for artists to come and sort of ask what what you know postmodern future would um, look like, especially you know particularly for artists. So we're hoping to bring artists and critics and writers to come up here on Fridays and sort of engage the public um, with some questions or prompts or texts. Um, around the actions that are happening yeah so tell our listeners a little bit like you know what what strike moment like what like people are signing on to when they're saying strike moma well i think you know the idea of strike moma is really dismantling the institution as it currently exists for me that would start with the board you know uh the the board <laughs> basically oligarchs and billionaires needs to go and the real question for me is what would a community-led and a community-oriented institution would look like? Um, and it's not about attacking the art. Um, it's about getting the art out into the world and bringing in art that, you know, um, would be more than just for tourists, you know, uh, that would be for the communities in New York. So it's really about a kind of whole regime change. Um, and, you know, it's also about striking this ultra-luxury real estate tower attached to MoMA. You know, um, yeah, moments a lot of a nexus for a lot of really terrible things that have been happening in the city before the pandemic. And, you know, um, I think that that's what it means, <laughs> at least. Yeah, to yeah. I, to me, I always think about like, you know, the Art Workers Coalition Open Hearing, which, you know, they like the, the idea that always stuck out best to me is like the idea of like a library on every corner and that would like include artworks and like the, the museum would be part of the li the public library or and like it would it would belong to the public mm -hmm. and and then i also think about like the history of like the like the very radical history of like the new museum and how far away we've gotten from that oh, so like yeah it's it it's like how <laughs> how do we get this to stick i mean it's like it feels like we're all here because we're like Part, we're like stuck in this industry we we're not really trained to do other stuff but it feels like a pebble at capitalism sometimes i agree with you i think we're also just tired of responding to each situation as it arises like at the whitney everything was fine until it's revealed that warren kander's company is producing tear gas used on migrants at the border um, all of these board members, <laughs> to a larger or lesser degree, are deeply problematic. So the structure is a problem. And maybe this is a starting point for thinking beyond reacting to like Jeffrey Epstein being connected to Leon Black, but really being more proactive and saying we need to change these institutions. I know it's not going to happen in 10 weeks. I, I saw how long it took just to get um, Candor's off the board, but it has to start somewhere. Yeah. You know, So I feel like if these 10 weeks are even just a start, 
of a real coordinated push for that. You know, we have to teach people how to even begin to ask this question or demand this change. And I think that's the most radical thing about this. It's not like, let's just take one board member off. It's like, let's dismantle this institution, right? And if that's the starting point for negotiation, uh, you know, we're not doing it on their terms. You know, we're not doing it on the Ford Foundation's terms. It's, we're saying this needs to be from the people, so. Yeah, I, I like that it's like an escalation from the previous protests of one board member to, okay, we got one board member, now let's try doing the entire thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. No, I, yeah, you're disagreeing? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I see your point. I think that I think that does make a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, maybe it'll grow even more when people, when stuff starts to pop off in the summer, you know, a bit more. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think um, it's part of a lot of different movements, whether it's the labor movement, you know, we're seeing a lot of more, a lot of organization that's happening. And it was started before the pandemic. But I think we've had a lot of time to think about this and start to organize. And Artists for a Postmoma Future is also came out of a group of artists and art workers organizing. Um, that's part of a longer term um, initiative as well. And I think that's connected you know, it's all sort of connects right here because MoMA, again, you know, when the pandemic started, let go of all their contracted education workers. Right. So there are real labor issues that are beyond just the current MoMA employees or the MoMA union here. So do you know if there's steps taken? Like one thing that I have a hard time with with the with the, the text, the, the strike MoMA text, is that like I'm confused a little bit about like the um, autonomy versus coalition building. Do you see like certain groups are going to be doing that coalition building and like reaching out to some of these workers who are let go by MoMA and getting them involved in like, you know, actually trying to coalition build in, in but that, that would still, to me, that would still fit into like the um, autonomous nature of the like strike MoMA text, but maybe like there'd be other groups doing that work. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's longer term work. You know, I mean, by definition, 10 weeks, you can only build kind of affinities. But I think the goal is to bring some of those groups here to connect, develop better relations, and then start to build longer term coalitions. And that's what I'm here for, you know, and a lot of the artists that I know that are part of Artists for Postmodern Future or Artists Against Displacement. Um, yeah, so I think what you're asking is, is pointing towards a longer term coalition building that might some of that might start here yeah you know well that's great i think that's a that's a great little snippet for our our listeners and really appreciate your time i know we talked to you a, a little bit at your last <laughs> your last like sort of similar project which was doing research around the whitney is is your current group doing a lot of the same type of research so part of the that group got really involved with museum workers and are still trying to do that work, but it's been such a crushing year that, you know, we've um, kind of suspended the more, let's say, abstract research around board members. But the work that MoMA Divest is doing has brought us back in conversation around that. So I'd say it's ongoing, you know. Um, no, it's all, yeah, everybody's still involved. It's just there's all these groups. And, like, I like like reading the letter, I'm like, oh, I follow this shit, and I don't know, like, five of these groups. Like, there's all these new ones. But it's exciting to learn and, and, and to recalibrate and bring in new people. So I think, like, and as far as that 
like being a, a goal of these is it's already successful <laughs> um, in my opinion but yeah I hope to see it grow bigger and um, make a dent in these you know behemoth luxury institutions you know <laughs> is that, do you know who's speaking right now uh, I cannot hear anything a micro they need a micro they need a sound set up here so bad they need they need one of those portable speaker setups. Anyone listening to this, go to Target, spend $40 on the... Oh, this. Why aren't we using it? Why? If something happened, they need an XLR. Someone get over here. I mean, yeah, the Tenants Union, we have one that is portable and, and, and seems to work pretty well. I'll try to figure out what that one actually is. <laughs> they have, like, the Tenants Union has one that, like, goes on a cart like this, and then it, it has, like, a mic uh, attached to it. And it works pretty well, so that maybe I'm sure their cable just broke. <laughs> yeah, that's also kind of the benefit of, uh, well, having like having a space act as a nexus for people to kind of come and go as an occupation. Uh, Deoccupation this time. Deoccupation. <laughs> oh, and, and do you know anything about the MoMA closing the lobby? Um, we were under the impression that that was a. Um, pandemic-related measure, but I, we're, I'm not sure when they actually closed it to public entry, if it was in response to Strike MoMA um, or something that was put in place a year plus ago. So, Oh, yeah. So anything else, like, um, do you guys ha like are, have a social media presence besides the Strike MoMA page, or should we just send people there? Um, I think if people want to get in touch, go to the Strike MoMA page, but... Um, Commandant Scream, or no, uh, Comrade Scream. <laughs> uh, Michael Rakowitz's character has been doing weekly communiques. Okay. Uh, you know, for Artists for a Post-MoMA Future. And um, I think we're, you know, at Artists for a Post-MoMA Future at ProtonMail.com. Okay. If anyone wants to reach out. And we'll be here That's every awesome. Friday. Every Friday. Uh, yeah. We'll try to come to another one as well. Yeah checking them out um, but yeah thank you for your time William appreciate thank you, it. Thank you. <laughs> hello art and labor podcast at the strike MoMA action um, so can you tell the listeners uh, your name and the piece you made for strike MoMA uh, my name is Kyle Goen, and uh, I did a screen print version of the uh, Terms of Struggle. Uh, and, wait, wait let, me, let me get the correct title. Uh, framework and Terms for Struggle. Strike MoMA document that came out at the beginning of the 10 weeks. Uh, I, I made a screen printed version of it. And never, we, 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 we put it out and then it got printed on like black and white printer. And so I felt like, oh, let's make something that kind of like feels the weight of the actual document and so i screen printed i think i made about 55 copies of it and just giving them out kind of a collector's edition <laughs> yeah the, i i've noticed that a lot of the like similar types of actions that like this that happened in the 50s have become like like i like the gallery like boo hooray puts them out you know the like art workers coalition like yeah, yeah, yeah. black mask ones or stuff like that i'm actually wearing like a black mask pin on my yeah. <laughs> hat like they are they do kind of become like yeah these like aesthetic and art objects and like 
yeah, how do you feel about like this sort of anti-capitalist thing becoming a commodity maybe in the future? Well, for me, I think it's more about making uh, movement work for the movement and for people, not making them to turn them into luxury items for the wealthy. Um, so it is also trying to leave an archive for the next generation so that they don't have to start from some, you know, from square one. They can just kind of pick up where we left off, you know, uh, correct the things that we got wrong and keep pushing this shit forward. So that really is who the thing is for, for the people here and for the people, you know, next generation. So they find this work. Yes, yeah, so you hear here first, folks, this is the artist's intention of these objects um if if you see a reseller in the future putting them up for <laughs> putting them up in a gallery it is not the artist's intention i mean you know uh i think once you put shit out in the world like who knows what people do with it um you know if it ends up in some kind of movement show in a movement space i think that makes complete sense you know and so i think like to me it's less about oh anti art it's just about how art actually connects us to each other and can be a part of our lives isn't this separate thing that is just you know for the wealthy um yeah yeah keeping yeah the keeping it in context and in archival and in in history where we are like in terms of like the history of struggle against institutions like the moma and like all this stuff like like putting weight to it like you were saying with with um printmaking um, does add a layer of in, importance in, to it, in, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I do a lot of movement work with my art, and screen printing is just kind of a way in which you can cheaply produce things in large quantities and then give them away to people so people can learn and, and you know, work through all these questions together. That's like my favorite part of print. I was a printmaker in school. I went to SUNY Purchase for printmaking. I went to SUNY Purchase for printmaking. And um, I that was always the appeal to me. I, I do a lot of zine fairs and, and things like that. And I, But sometimes I get pissed off when um, like the processes are recontextualized to wealthier markets and something that I know didn't cost them an arm and a leg is being charged an arm and a leg yeah yeah i mean I, yeah i what mean i don't do, yeah i what mean i think do? like there's so much to be mad about <laughs> and like i think we could add that to the list definitely <laughs> definitely but it's like uh, this is just printmaker shit talk right so now <laughs> much that we can't control and i think for me it's more important to just like make things and put them out in the world especially when they're like working within movements and dealing with the kind of um, the analysis that's happening on the ground and just really being able to put it out there so more people can sit with it, be a part of it, and, and you know, because it's going to take us all. And it's that's take a really good point. Like, yeah. for, like, cause I'm constantly, um, I, I, I get like, shut down by my own anxieties yeah, around yeah, these yeah. things some well you know my i i'm hoping one day i can tap into some underground market that can sustain <laughs> people like myself and other artists that are actually working within movements but we are still producing you know art-based objects that are beautiful they have aesthetics to them and that we you know i want people to be able to live with them um you know, like I was saying, like I said just a minute ago, like art should be a part of us and it should connect us to one another. So I think if it's doing that, you know, I want people to like, if they put it in their house and they, you know, 
treat it like they treat other art that they collect. I think that's great because it then is kind of like infiltrating yeah. and and permeating kind of like the ideas of like what we're trying to do. And maybe it'll live in a post MoMA MoMA or whatever <laughs> that's going to be. Yeah. You know, we, I don't we, know. But yeah, I think yeah. definitely for it to end up in an archive somewhere would be wonderful. So like, like I was saying, the next, you know, people... 19-year-old kids coming up behind us are, like, not alone and thinking, like, they have to start all over or thinking they're, like, struggling without this history. A lot of a lot of what I do with my work in screen printing is activating the archives, um, not treating things as, like, relics in the past, but seeing how... Because a lot of times things get made for a moment and then they kind of live in an archive or they go to die in an archive, so to speak. And so I am constantly finding things and reactivating them because we're building on what came before us. Yeah. You know, we're not it, making this shit up. We're, we're building on things that people did prior to us. And so I'm constantly, you know, uh, around Israel, Palestine, you know, working with Palestinian solidarity. I'm constantly looking at old posters from like the 60s and 70s and how can I act, reactivate some of this stuff so that it's a part of, it's not, it's not separate from that history, but it's a part of. Right. Yeah. Part of the movement work is maintaining that archive and being, and, you know, I come from library background too. And, you know, it, like Aaron Schwartz died trying to, trying to keep this stuff in the public. And part of the reason why, like these art objects get so inflated is because they're not available digitally accessibly to everybody. And yeah. so that's part of the movement work too, is to make sure that this stuff just stays widely available. Yeah. I mean, I think of, I think of like a Google search as an archive, you know, where it becomes accessible to all of us. And there's way, you know, it's a way where I, you can have access to things that without going online and doing a Google search, you probably would never see these things. Um, well, on our, on our show, too, we are constantly list, linking to the pirate website. Yeah. So there's, like, book-ok, there's yeah. Z library, yeah. there's, like, all these things that, like... Yeah. And so I, I think it's also, like, kind of... We have to preserve those types because, like, all of these platforms right now where most of the artwork that's being made around the movement, you know, designs and memes and all that kind of Instagram posts and stuff... There's no, it doesn't archive it well. It's impossible to find it later because yeah. it's all meant to just, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think of my phone as an archive, you know, I'm constantly documenting my life. I'm documenting, I'm like screenshotting things that I come across, you know, in like my online kind of searching and looking and. So I'm constantly like, it almost becomes an archive that I then go back to when I have a moment where I'm like, okay, I need to create something around this thing. And then I start going through and looking through this archive that I built on my phone. Um, and I think what's interesting too is I think a lot of time within an archive, just in terms of that idea, I think words are the things that get reproduced. People go and they do research to build on that and then write something new from it. And the images don't, people don't really do that same thing with images. And so, you know, I think that's one of the things I'm trying to do is like really like how do we build on this history and become part of, you know, something that's way bigger than us in this moment and will live after us. But we're, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of 
of greatness, people that like did a lot of fucking work before we got here so that we got to this moment, you know? And so I think for the work that we're doing, it's, I'm constantly like reactivating things. And, you know, maybe that's just like a language I'm using that other people like, yo, you're ripping shit off. But like, it really like within the context of a movement, it really is building. And it's like, you know, there are certain images like the fist and things like that, that people use from 60s and 70s and maybe even before 60s and 70s, people were using the fist icon, you know, around socialism and, and, and those kinds of leftist movements. But there's so much great imagery. You know, the Black Panther Party newspaper is like an orgy, if I can use that word. It's just, you know, it's this, there, the excitement, the, yeah. the excitement that, yeah. you know, as a visual artist and a printmaker and somebody that's, you know, involved in movement work, like to just see the images and the typography and like everything that Emory Douglas was doing with that paper is just, I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. And there's so much there that is not, it should not just be this kind of relic of history of the past to be dust off and studied, but it should be reactivated and like, how can we learn and keep pushing these things forward? Yeah. And, and like, you know, cause a lot of the ideas like, you know, uh, on, on our, like some of our earliest episodes on our show. So we're, we're called art and labor and we've, we've been a podcast for a couple of years and, and some of our earliest shows were about the art workers coalition and black yeah, mask yeah. and, and a lot of this like same, same stuff about like linking it to the history. And, and, you know, our podcast, we treat it as an archive too. We really have a lot of like, the these threads um down on this one podcast feed that we're trying to like bridge like that's why I'm, I'm constantly bringing them up because it's like they were doing a lot of the same stuff that we're at right now yeah and i think you know there's so much that you learn just by maybe the way somebody put something together you know if you just look at like zines and that culture you can learn so much about how you can actually uh, assimilate information to people very cheaply in a way that doesn't require a master's or a PhD, you know, but really is just like, you know, this information I need to put together. And like, you look at that kind of culture and like, there's so much information, just the how to, you know, and also it, it's like um, where you don't need permission. Like you don't need to wait for somebody to give you X amount of dollars to put this thing together and put it out into the world. Like you can just do it because, you know, the times tell us like this needs to happen. And a lot of the, a lot of the stuff we're producing, there's an immediacy to it. It's not like sitting in the studio and tinkering away until you have like the perfect document or the perfect image but it's there's an immediacy to and a rawness to that is like no this is like this needs to happen now and if we sit in the studio and tinker till we think we have it right the moment passes and then nothing was done and then you know the it's, it's a still- tricky balance i think it takes all types because we could we could have we could have these more thought out um big pieces that are like kind of similar to what you're saying like reaching like reaching people's homes like piercing it's almost like piercing a veil i see like like really really radical painters 
I feel like are like piercing this veil at, at like at, at like like interesting weird levels that like yeah. in painter circles because like I'm, I'm in printmaker land so I'm kind of with you on that sort of kind of accessibility additions that it reaches more yeah. people yeah. but it's interesting that I think some radical painters can kind of paint pierce a veil and do some interesting yeah. stuff or maybe turn some of their paintings into zines I think also like uh, zines and that culture too does something that a lot of like you know art and maybe MoMA doesn't do which also it it really does find it helps us find one another you know you you produce a zine you put it out and you find like-minded people people that felt like they were the only ones you know what I mean and then you're like oh oh my god I, I and I think it's easier now with the internet to connect with each other but when I was a kid you know you would find magazines and zines at shows and that's how you started connecting, realizing like, oh, there's people in the town, kids in the town right next to me that are into the same things. I can connect with them and we can build and create scenes and we don't have to like wait for somebody to put on a show, you know, that we could then go and be like, see culture. We could create culture for ourselves. It was, it was very important to me. I mean, that's, I, I, organizing fairs i used to be part of silent barn uh, yeah. which is a like collective in bushwick and um like all, like all of my friends i've met through zines and like it does help you build um build community and and like build build out politics and be like we care about this community we're going to protect this community yeah, you know totally. i mean that's like uh as a kid punk rock was the thing that like you know, help me find the language to describe how the state was coming into my house and turning it upside down to look for drugs, you know, and I would come home from school and my whole world would just be like thrown everywhere. And I would think like somebody broke into my house and destroyed it, but it was the state, you know, and it was through punk rock that you start finding the language to then articulate the thing that's happening to you. And then you realize it's happening to other people. And then you connect with those people and you realize that those are the people that you fight side by side with. And then you just, you know, and so I think like all that is like how you get to this, you know. Yeah, and, and hopefully this will continue to grow. I mean, we've, we've been to a couple of these um, over the years, you know, at, at Whitney and then even before when Natural History Museum, when they used to do them there and... Um, yeah, I mean, it's good because it's like, it, to me, I always see like new students kind of getting indoctrinated into this world, you know? Yeah. And it's great. Oh, I was going to say, I meet a lot of artists that are like, oh, I have a studio practice and they don't know how to like get involved in movement work as an artist. And and I'm, I'm open your studio. And literally, that's what I, a lot of this work started within my studio. Um, I had this great studio for about 18 years in Brooklyn and I just literally opened my door, my space to people I was collaborating with. And then that led to groups that I would collaborate with. And sometimes it would be me creating something for the group. And then it would be like the group creating things. And then at points, I would take over the whole building at night. And I would have all these people building for actions, you know. And so it was really like that instead of making it like how do i make an art project that stands in for politics it was really like how can i get involved in movement work with people and so as a studio artist it really is about opening up your space 
providing and then working with and like then you find a whole world in which to create art yeah that's the beauty yeah of like collective spaces i was part of in the past with silent barn and stuff it's like we were just sort of getting there and then you get fucking priced out and it's just a nightmare and that's what we're talking about off mic a bit getting fucking priced out i mean yeah i yeah i mean it's like how we support ourselves is like the thing also with the studio and i've always i've always had like a day job so that i didn't have to ask permission to do this kind of work because early on when I started making work and started working, you know, in the early 2000s doing Palestinian solidarity work on a large scale, a lot of museums, I mean, a lot of galleries and art people were just completely like, you're going nowhere fast, kid. You know, and I was like... Uh, yeah, and you were saying off mic too that you were doing uh, anti-Iraq war shirts on a sliding scale and people would... Yeah, you you just you were just saying they could give you four quarters and you and you'd be like, here's a shirt, yeah. Well, it's interesting when I first when I first started, I was doing. I think when I first did my first paintings around Palestine and land, it was like in 2001, I think. And I had found these images that were like taken at night in Gaza, and they were like of like masked gunmen, and I repurposed the images. And I was just trying to figure out like what I was doing with them. So they were like, there was these four paintings on one side of my studio. And then I had this other piece. It was an image of George Bush. And it said, elect a madman, you get madness. And I was starting to figure out like, how, 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 how much can I, how, how, how many times can I reproduce this same image before the image like loses any kind of like power or meaning? So I was starting to build this installation on the other side of my studio where it was just repeating the same image and like we pasting posters and like covering the whole wall. And when I would have open studios, people would come into my space and they, when they came in, that was the first thing they saw and they would laugh. They would see this installation of George Bush and they would laugh. And then they would turn, literally pivot and see these four Palestinian gunmen and they would gasp. And it was mind-blowing because I was like, wow, the perceived violence that you think these four individuals are capable of is nothing compared to actually what is being yeah. done yeah. by this guy over here. And you think it's funny. It's funny. He's a and I mean, and that's the, um, the indoctrination that we're all like a part of in this culture through white yeah. supremacy, he's the just, media, like all this stuff. Painter. Yeah. He's just, a, he's just an no, old painter. Totally. totally. He hangs out with Ellen. It's fine. Yeah, totally. He's fine I mean, now. even before that, he yeah, was no, just kind of like, you know, Affable. when I started doing the, you know, the piece was elect a madman, you get madness. And it came from this Alice Walker book where the writer, uh, where the character in the book was talking about Eisenhower. And then I kind of made it into this Bush thing. Real, I didn't realize until I went on the Internet that Eisenhower, there was this madman theory that Eisenhower used to, I think it was like the Korean War like threatening Korea with a nuclear bomb so they would withdraw. And then the theory, so the theory grows with like, um, with Nixon during the Vietnam War and the Vietnam didn't really buy it. And so he had to escalate the war. And so then there became this theory about Bush and the axis of evil was his madman, that madman theory. And so this was like, and I had started this piece like right when he was elected as like, when everybody was going down to protest the first inauguration, I made this image around that time. So it was before 9-11, before Iraq, Afghanistan, like all that stuff. 
So at first people were like, oh, he's not really a madman. He's more of an idiot. And it was just this, you know, kind of funny thing. And I was like, but the people he's surrounding himself with were all familiar people from the Reagan era. And I was like, this is not going to go anywhere good fast. And then 9-11 happened. And then people started going like, oh, shit. Like, you know, then it became like this more serious thing. But like through the whole thing, he was just kind of this funny character that people didn't really they were not afraid of and i was like it was just mind-blowing no, there's constant he constant. was killing like half a million iraqis no, like the, the genocide in yemen yeah. and we got like biden yeah. and everyone's like oh it's not trump so it's good and it's like no everything yeah. is basically the same and then the legacy of his family you know so it's just like i mean it was just but it was very telling that people were just like you know, because they're told to fear Palestine and that's this really, you know, they just want to kill everyone or whatever the narrative is. And it was only, I worked on those images a lot and then I finally started using Robert Morris uh, patterns as a way to talk William about... William Morris? Yeah, William yeah. Morris. Thank you. Yeah, William wrong. Morris. Um, as a way to talk about land so that it kind of like created another narrative as opposed to like terrorism. Because that was the first thing out of everyone's mouth when they saw the painting. Yeah, we, we so our logo is our logo is a William Morris, and it's and it's similar to like trying to get people to think about think critically about the the obfuscated yeah. socialist history that we have even here in the United States. Like you yeah. know, I think and with that, I started introducing like the Black Panther Party imagery with Palestine as a way to talk about that history of solidarity, but also talk about the way that the narrative in pop culture demonizes the Black Panther Party, demonized the Black Panther Party so that then when they started being assassinated by their own government, people didn't care. People weren't outraged at the fact that these people were being murdered by the state, you know, through local police, the FBI. Um, and so I was trying to like kind of show that that narrative that's being played out right now against Palestinian Palestinians and Palestinian solidarity and Palestinian resistance to settler colonialism, um, that narrative was being played out the same way, demonized, and then nobody really cares when they're being well, what slaughtered. Do you think, what do you think level. about like the kind of new trend of Hollywood absorbing radical history, giving it a big fancy movie? giving it an academy award like i mean it's hard it's hard to like be upset i mean like we were like we go back to like <laughs> no, there's no. so much no i'm just i'm like asking the weird question there's today. so much to be upset about and like we could add that to the list of like hollywood making a movie about fred hampton but i think it's also like a way for more people and include in just i mean you know it's like i did this show and I had all these paintings of Panthers and Palestinian resistance. And, you know, when I make work, I'm not trying to, like, tell somebody's history or narrative. or I'm just literally an image and a name. And then you go do the work. I, I believe that the audience is smart enough to figure out who these people are, what they are, if they're, you know, if they want. So I don't need to, like, tell you everything. But I had all these young people through the course of the exhibition being up, um, there was a lot of young people in and out of the gallery. There was a filmmaking studio above on the second floor. And they were all like, through the course of the couple weeks, months that the show was up, they were all just like, they would always come up and talk to me at different times. And they'd be like, wow, like, 
I Googled because I was like, I don't know these people. And they thought like, oh, as a young black person, I don't know who the Panthers are. And I'm like, but how would you know who the Panthers are? Black, white, whoever you are. Like, this is not the stuff we're taught. We don't learn these histories. So unless your parents were teaching you this stuff, you shouldn't expect to know this. But then they would be like, oh, I Googled. And then this whole world opened up to them. And that's really what, for me, was the thing was that's enough information to give people to then. So back to the question about the Fred Hampton movie, I think, you know, sometimes it's just enough information and people are smart. Yeah. Like people don't fall for the state trickery that Hollywood is a part of in the indoctrination of how we should think about certain things. I think we're living in a time in which people are like clued in to whiteness is the problem and it's always been the problem. Um, and so I think it's, you know, the Fred Hampton movie is just like, if that's all you get is Fred Hampton, and then you're like, who's Fred Hampton? Then you have to go find, and then you're like this whole world of radical politics that like were really pushing history forward and connecting to not just black people, but white people, brown people, indigenous people, and being like, we're all getting fucked over by the same system in different ways. Some of us, is, some of us are getting fucked softly and some of us are getting fucked violently. But, you know what I mean? And so it's like when we start finding each other, and this is what, what it is, is like how we connect the things that bring us together. And so I think like, you know, on that level, how many new people are fucking Googling Fred Hampton? Oh, yeah, may, yeah, maybe you know it's a net mean? good. That to me, can only be positive and amazing in terms of like, you know in college how many people were radicalized by reading the fucking autobiography of malcolm x you know that worked book, for me worked for me like sets people in this whole you know it's like this and i don't think you know a painting has never done that to me the way reading malcolm x in college fucking changed the course of like how i was gonna live my life and i don't know if standing in front of a painting has ever done that even though i paint you know so i think the movie to me you know, I don't trust Hollywood. I think probably most people that watched that movie that knew who Fred Hampton was doesn't trust Hollywood, understands the trickery, but also understands that, like, how many people are probably Googling Fred Hampton for the first time? No, you, I like your, your optimism. You, we're, we can become very deep pessimists on our show sometimes, so to have the optimist yeah. perspective is really important, and that's the, the, the beauty of going outside, interacting with your community yeah. outside, not on the Internet. Well, I think it's also the way that you can imagine and believe that we will win. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, you know, you have to be optimistic that, like, we're on the right side. We can win this thing. Yeah, I mean, we got one board member down with the last set of protests. So I like the escalation of, of stakes and yeah. scale of this, and of this new one. It's another, I think it's six more weeks of escalation. Uh, that's very exciting and yeah. yeah people get down here every friday for the next like six uh, how many you have <laughs> it'll be all hot and sunny by the time we end this thing so we'll see sarah did you have any other i no. this has been really fantastic thank you so much like this so is I don't, know. This so I don't talk a lot so it was like i don't know I mean, what i'm is... gonna say but this oh, is so thank fucking you. great it was awesome i'm like nerding Thanks. out frankly as a printmaker i'm like this fucking rocks <laughs> like one of the things that's always so hard as an, this is like always the question of artists young and artists young um, 
No, I'm, yeah, sorry. I'm not on it today. No, you're good, dude. Like, yeah, this intergenerational talk coming together, like, um, yeah, passing on to the new set of students, like, all of this shit is necessary, even if it feels small. It, it's, it's continuing the torch of history, like we keep saying. Totally, totally. Yeah. Well, thank you again. <laughs> Finally, I, I just want to ask, like, where can people find you online? And so, oh, like um, so my name's Kyle Goen, and like, I you can find me. Uh, I have the website kylegoen.net, and then my IG handle is um, Kyle did this, and then decolonize this place also. Okay, great, yeah, great, great to meet you. Yeah, like lots of fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Lots of fun.